Hey everyone, this is Kurt Mercadante. And whether you're a first time listener or a long time listener, I want to thank you for choosing to spend your time with me and our guests here on Freedom Mindset Radio. You know, now more than ever in this turbulent time, it's important to share and spread our message of freedom and fulfillment around the globe. So if you get value from this podcast, I have a favor to ask. If you could go wherever you listen to this podcast and leave us a positive rating and review, that helps us carry our message further around the globe. And if you wouldn't mind, Post a link to this podcast on your Facebook page. Share it on Twitter, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, wherever you're at on social media. I want to thank you for helping us take our message to those people around the globe who truly need it. And I want to thank you for being a loyal listener. Thank you. I have a different perspective on it. I don't think it's a new normal. I don't think there's anything normal about this. I think it's just a new reality. The resiliency of our nation is staggeringly awesome to see. We are a people who always figure it out. What does the word freedom mean to you? Only you can define it in your life and only you can decide to build the life of freedom and fulfillment you deserve. This is Freedom Mindset Radio. I'm your host, Kurt Mercadante, and we're grateful you're here. And we are live here on the Freedom Media Network today. We are having an incredible conversation with someone who writes, talks, speaks about the power of conversations. When we come back, speaker, trainer, and best-selling author, Amy K. Hutchins. Thanks again for joining us. And thank you, Amy, for joining us. The conversation or the the quote that I have uh, listed and marked, and it shows up in every one of your interviews throughout your book, Life Happens One Conversation at a Time. Amy Kay is an international award-winning speaker, Amazon best-selling author of the new book, Get It, Five Steps to the Sex, Salary, and Success You Want. She teaches executives, business owners, influencers, and go-getters how to get the exact results they desire without saying something they regret, giving their power away, or damaging relationships across the way. Amy Kay, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for inviting me. <laughs> you know, I, we don't. I, I want to get into your background. Want to get into the book. Want to get about into the power of profitable profitable conversations. But um, the only set question I ever ask anyone on the show is, you know, I have it on my T-shirt here, and the word freedom. What does we have entrepreneurs, we've had economists on, you know, we ask this question and there's always common themes, although people take it in different directions. What does the word freedom mean to you? The ability to be who you are unapologetically and, and to go after what you want unapologetically and that, and what I want doesn't necessarily, we get so many negative connotations of that, that like want is greed. Want can be just wanting to have an incredible family an incredible legacy. Um, but freedom to me is just the unapologetic ability to be the human being that you are. That's awesome. That's awesome. And one thing I highlighted it in your book, but you also just said it perfectly, which is I just did a whole training series on gratitude. And a lot of people get gratitude wrong, I feel like, because it, it, they look at it solely as, well, other people have it worse than me, and so I feel guilty about wanting more. And they think of more as material stuff only. What do you say to someone like that? And, and, and defining more, some people think, well, it's money, and if I have more, then someone immediately has less or vice versa. 
but you talk about more as being so much more than just stuff, right? It is. So that, wow, there's a lot in there. So to unpack that a little (laughs) bit. So one of the things that I think that we often get confused about um, gratitude is that there's some sort of comparative suffering. Like I should be thankful for everything I have because people are so um, much less fortunate. And I, and, I, and I think that that's a very truncated version of gratitude. I think that gratitude is about feeling very blessed with all that you have that is both, yes, materialistic and external, but also that's internal. Feeling gratitude for the ability to be creative or to be imaginative, um, for being able to create and connect and to influence people's lives positively. So there's there's a myriad of, of layers in there. And I also think that we confuse gratitude as acceptance. Like I'm, if I'm great, if I'm grateful, then I can't want anything more. And I think those are two different concepts. You can absolutely be grateful for everything that you have in the present moment and be human and say, but tomorrow I want to get up and I want to continue to serve and I want to continue to have a positive impact and I want to continue to grow my relationships. It should not be an either, or it should be an and. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And, and, and when you talk about conversations, uh, conversations, obviously with other people, and that power of conversations for not just work and getting what you want in your career, but also relationships and self-care. What about the conversations we have? And you just talked about it. You know, when we first wake up in the morning, maybe one of the most important conversations we have is with ourselves. Right? It is. And I even say in the book, they're some of the toughest ones. You know, yeah. we, we have to do a little kick ass with our, with our own, with our own butt. But I think that that is so important. So I talk about profitability. And again, so many people just because of a, of a Western society will say, oh, it must mean like cars and the McMansion. And, and no, what I talk about is profitability can be relationships healed. It can be time. It can be dollars. It can be energy. It can be boundaries established. It can be breakthrough ideas. So oftentimes inside a company, we'll talk about profitable conversations as innovation, as you know, seizing on opportunities. And then a profitable conversation with yourself is about calming your own mindset and getting clarity and giving yourself a sense of certainty. Um, and those, those conversations are even harder. Yeah. So why do you, you know, I have my thoughts on why those conversations are so hard programming permission kind of based society. Um, why do you think those conversations, those, those self conversations are so difficult? Cause we're not taught. I mean, these are things that are never taught in school. And I think that one of the things that's so powerful is if you think about the fact that every time that we form a story from life circumstance, we don't argue with reality. The circumstance is never going to change, but our stories can change how we perceive it and how we perceive it is going to impact the way that we feel and take action and get us a certain result. But we're never taught to challenge our own stories. We're never taught to really challenge our own limiting beliefs. And so some of the toughest conversations are to sit back and say, is my story true? Is it even true? And is it true hundred percent of the time? Or is it this self-serving, possibly sabotaging story that like feeds a competing commitment? So like, if I think that, you know, Kurt's amazing and I could never be as amazing as Kurt, well, then that allows me to play small. And so you have to, you have to, again, look at these conversations that are happening internally and question whether they're working for you or against you. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I, and I do want to take this opportunity to give a shout out to everyone joining us live, whether you're on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, 
Periscope, Twitter, however that works. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. And as you join us, don't be a lurker. Hop in, share your name, your city, your state, your town, your country, your continent, wherever in the world you're joining us from. Let us know if you have any questions, comments, agreements, disagreements, whatever they are. Thank you so much. We're here with Amy K. Hutchins, speaker, trainer, author of the new best-selling book, Get It. Uh, and we're talking about conversations, and that's what Amy Kay is all about. I had a client once who was in marketing, and he talked about it. And you write this in your book that the ability to have these types of conversations, and he said the same thing, was is, is, a, is a sort of superpower. It is. And um, can you describe why that is? And it, it's funny, as, as, you, as I was reading the story of, I think it was a boss or a colleague of, of some type, and you were in Spain. Oh, yeah. And he was, <laughs> I just kept thinking of, 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 you know, we have four kids. And it's, and it's almost like they lash out, they lash out thinking they want something else. And really, it's, it's they're underlying. And, and, and it's almost like I was hoping you would yell at that person, use your words, use your words. You know, that's what we tell our kids, but, but isn't exactly. that, isn't that the case? I mean, it's something we tell our kids, but 50, 60, 40, whatever year olds need to hear it. <laughs> it's so true. So I, I talk about the fact that this foundation of communication, it is, it's necessary, but it's not sufficient, but it's absolutely fundamental. So for instance, if you want to be a great engineer, a great architect, a great dad, or a great mom, there's going to be a lot of skills that are needed to do that. But a foundational one is communication until you can articulate a vision until you can inform and influence and persuade until you can learn to ask for what you want. And so one of the things that I always say in the book, and it's one of the, 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 four core tenets is that the life that you want is on the other side of a tough conversation. And, and I, I really mean that because when, when we hear people say like, I've never had to have a tough conversation. My life's been easy. We're like, okay, you're alien. Like you're an alien. <laughs> one, right? And, but teaching our kids to use their words is exactly what we're talking about. It's that commu without communication skills, we will never have all the goodness that we could potentially have in our lives. It's just a fundamental need. When you, when you say that, you know, that the, the, the type of person who says, well, I've had it easy, I have it great. And, and you're an alien. Do you find a lot of times that those people are actually pretty much kind of full of shit because they're saying it because they don't want to admit any sort of weakness and maybe that's holding them back from having that type of meaningful conversation with themselves or others. Well, there, there's a myriad of, of reasons. I think sometimes our egos get in the way for sure. I think sometimes we feel either embarrassment that we don't have the skills that we need. Sometimes again, we're doing that comparative suffering of, I don't have everything that I want, but I don't know how to get it. And so I'll just say that I'm fine. And so we, we talk a lot in the book about ego and ego hooks. In fact, one of the things that can be the most difficult in a conversation is to go in unaware of all the hooks of somebody's ego. So like, if I come to you, you're my boss, Kurt. And I come to you and I say, Hey, you know, Glenda, she's terrible. We got to get rid of her. You have an internal conversation, your own ego hook of, well, I hired Glenda. You know, I think Glenda's amazing. Are you trying to say that I'm not confident? And so we just have to be aware of all of these landmines. Yeah. So thinking about conversations and your career trajectory. Yeah. How did you get, how did Amy Kay get to this point? Best-selling author, Hall of Fame, you know, you know, keynote speaker, all this stuff, internationally speaking, talking to other people about conversations. 
I get the sense that you maybe learned some hard lessons along the way about having these conversations. So can you tell us about Amy Kay's story to how you got here right now? Yeah, I wish I had some beautiful story that was like, I magically knew how to like communicate when I came (laughs) out of the womb, but that's not true. I really, I sincerely say this. We were all given a voice box with no instructions on how to use it. And for (laughs) me, it's been an extraordinarily painful journey of saying the wrong thing, thinking of what you want to say hours later over a cocktail when it's way too late, Um, letting people cross boundaries that they shouldn't have been able to cross, not speaking up, not recognizing the significance of my own voice. And so I... I heard a speaker three or four years ago now, Phil McKernan, great guy. So I give full credit to him for this. He said, where your greatest pain is your greatest gift. And like this light bulb went off for me is that communication was hard for me over the years, but the better that I got at it, the more successful I became personally, professionally relationships. I mean, it skyrocketed. And so I realized, wow, I do have this gift. Um, and so I've taken this gift and I've channeled it into this book and, and, and programs and our, and our inner circle to say, when you get really good at this, it is unbelievable what can happen in your life. What are some uh, interesting uh, kind of case studies that you can share? So this, so this was last year and I have to always preface this because I am not a therapist. I am not a marriage counselor. I'm a coach, biz strategist, speaker, you know, all, all that stuff, but I'm, I have no degree in counseling. And yet I coach all the time and I coach CEOs and senior leaders and it will inevitably become personal, Kurt. At some point, like coaching call four or five, they will say, Hey, Amy Kay, can I have five minutes of your time? And I'm always in the back going, marriage or kids, marriage or kids. Like, which one's it going to be? And you this, can tell. You can totally tell. And this guy says, so I've been married for 30 years. And I'm like, yes, okay, I just won that 50 bucks in my internal bet. But then he said something so painful to my own heart. He said, 29 pretty miserably. And I was like, oh, this is just not how we're supposed to live our lives, right? And then he says, can you fix her? And I was like, okay, that's hysterical, <laughs> right? And, you know, it's a classic. and I was like, I cannot fix her. You know, I'm, I'm coaching you. But I asked him, who might you be to be worthy of a 30-year marriage? Who might you be to be somebody's best friend? Who might you become to have somebody that wants to chase you around the world, let alone the bedroom? And you could have heard a pin drop. And I think that what it, what it was a great for me is that all the communication tools that I'd been teaching him about turning around his company, two weeks later, he calls me and he says, oh my gosh, Amy Kay, I'm using the tools and I'm having the best relationship of my life. And he says, but here's the kicker. He says, my daughter's now speaking to me. And that to me is the power of communication skills. You can be wicked smart. You can be amazing in so many areas of your life, but without communication skills, you can't have magnificence across the board. It's just fundamental. And and it's interesting you say that because what I've noticed in working with folks, I may be working with them on entrepreneurship, I'm building their own business. And the inability to have meaningful conversations is pretty consistent across the board. And so many times I had one one client who was trying to create a side hustle or, or take his side hustle and build it while he was working. And he was kind of on the ropes at his job, felt like he was gonna get fired. It was angry at everyone and everything else. 
And so he ended up losing his job Oh no! in the middle of it. But we were having this conversation and he said, yeah, you know, last night I was making calls and he's like, my wife and I are, are going at it a lot. We're, we're, we're arguing a lot. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, yesterday I was in there and I was making calls and he was doing new, new business development calls. And I came out and my wife said, so what are you, what are you doing? Like, what are you, what are you making calls? And he said, immediately, immediately I said, cause he had, he had told me at the beginning, she's micromanaging, she's doing the micromanaging. I said, so what did you respond to her? What specifically was said? And she said, what are you doing in there? And he said, uh, uh-uh, we're not playing that game. And I said, well, could it be that she wasn't micromanaging and maybe she really just wanted to know what you were doing in your office? And he's like, oh, I never thought of that. But it was very revealing as to why this person may have just lost their job because it was almost this passive aggressive. He was having a conversation in his head and it was just coming out on the tail end as this kind of. (laughs) Well, you just nailed it. So when I, I'm a big fan of magical phrases, a huge fan Mm. of magical phrases. And I curate them because they, I'm not a fan of scripting. I've never, I mean, we do a ton of sales training. I'm never a fan of scripting, but I love these back pocket, brilliant one-liners where if he had just said to her, you know, I have this story in my head that you're trying to now control like what I'm doing with my new business development calls. She would have been like, no, I was just curious because I'm bored. We're all quarantined together. I'm just, I, you know, <laughs> right. so, so, but what's great is when you say, I have this story in my head, you create all this space to be wrong, to have that story corrected or to have people go, yeah, that's about right. So let's talk about that story. But no matter, but no matter when you say, I just have the story in my head, you're admitting that it may or may not be true and all the tension deescalates. So if he had come out of there, instead of saying, you know, we're not going to play that game human, but it's not too late. Like he could always go back and say, you know, yesterday I overreacted, but today I actually want to talk about that. I have the story in my head and it changes the whole conversation. And this something, Kurt, this is what's so common. I, I have been doing this for 28 years. Communication skills are the Achilles heel of entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs are so great with ideas. They see solutions and, and they know how to innovate. They know how to build and scale. What happens is, is they often lose really great talent or they end up getting pushed aside in, in the process because they don't know how to communicate. They don't know how to make people feel good, inspired, you know, productive, high performers around them. They just don't know how to do it. Do you find, uh, so I'm a Gallup strengths trainer and you know, it's so interesting when I speak to different people and my wife and I actually have used strengths finder to deescalate some things every once in a while, but, but you know, someone say has harmony and responsibility. They it's kumbaya. They don't like to rock the boat, but they also, if they're called out on something, they're already beating themselves up because they have responsibility. So if you say a word, like you don't need to say anything because they're already beating themselves up, but then you just violated the harmony. Then there's something, somebody like me who just likes to everything in my mind just comes out. You know, I grew (laughs) up in this loud Italian family and that was it. You, you have loud arguments and that's the way you communicate. When you, when you work with folks, how often do you have to, you know, there's, there's a lot of folks who think that coaching is cookie cutter and certainly there's coaches out there who do cookie cutter, but I assume you have to really work the conversation with Jim or that Jim needs to have, or, or what he needs to do to have better conversations is different than 
Jane based on their internal strengths, superpowers, behaviors, et cetera. Absolutely. And it goes back to what we said a few minutes ago that our definition or my definition of freedom is the ability to show up and not apologize for who you are. But that doesn't mean that you don't refine, you know, to um, refine some of your techniques to meet certain needs. So for instance, some of the best communicators in the world adapt. And we adapt really, really well. And it's not about adapting to be fake. So I want to be really careful that I'm not misquoted. It's not about adapting to be, you know, this inauthentic. It's about actually meeting people where they're at and meeting their own needs. So if I show up with you and I know that you've got all this incredible energy and this, this dynamic personality and you say something kind of emotive, then I just have the story in my head of that's just Kurt. That's just Kurt. I mean, he's, he's just going to emote a little bit. He's going to be a little bit more excited and be a little bit more enthusiastic. I was on a call the other day and this woman came across like the most unenthusiastic, the most unsupportive. And I, I had to be really careful as to not misinterpret that of, I don't know her well enough. Maybe this is her personality. Maybe she's an Eeyore. Maybe she'll be a champion three weeks from now. Maybe she's just processing. And then I was like, Amy Kay, practice what you preach. So I, I, I just looked at her again through Zoom, but I looked at her and I said, hey, I'm not really sure how to read your vibe. So what's the thought bubble above your head? And then she's like, oh, I'm on board. I'm just really thinking about it. And I was like, ah, see? So until we ask, then we misinterpret based on our own filters and our own personality. That's interesting. Yeah. From a, uh, well, I, I guess it's a related question because there, you know, there's the, the whole notion that the words we use are very important because if we say certain things, we condition ourselves to believe it. Um, but where's that fine line, right? Between being open with, I'm really having a bad day. So there, there's some like Dan Pena. I don't know if you know who Dan Pena is. He's the $50 billion man. He's just kind of in your face dropping F-bombs. And one of the things he says is, don't talk about your failure, talk about your success and, and move forward. And there's certainly a big part of that because yeah. if you're constantly saying you're a failure, but where's the fine line to, I just need to talk about the fact that I'm having a bad day, that I've had some setbacks. Where's that fine line between harmful talk uh, you know, and I guess as if you're a solopreneur, yeah, having that talk with your significant other is one thing, but I once had a, um, a client who would do it with the entire team in a way that would just kind of bring everyone down. Yeah. And so th there's that fine line between sharing, uh, healthy talk and, and getting your, you know, not letting things bottle up, but also conditioning, with negativity, I guess. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's separate those two scenarios because they're both worthy and they have a different response. So let's, let's start with the personal self-talk. There's a big difference between saying I messed up, I messed up versus I'm a mess up. And that's, and that's a very different language inside your brain. So in other words, I made a mistake versus I'm stupid. That's a very different conversation. And so giving yourself grace to be human, we all misstep. I mean, and those people who don't admit it, you know, probably actually need a whole different kind of conversation. <laughs> right, right. But, but I think that the self-talk that we have, we just need to be careful. So I talk a lot with my clients about low energy and high energy words. So saying things like I'm overwhelmed, I'm exhausted versus 
okay, this is tough, but one step at a time. Okay. This is new and I can figure it out. Like I I've got a bunch of new tech equipment in our house and I'm like, hashtag, I can get good at this. It's like, okay, <laughs> I will figure this out. So that's, that's the self-talk piece of low energy and high energy words. But then, and this is very important going out to your people. I always bring back the Stockdale paradox. So Stockdale, when interviewed, um, he was a prisoner of war. And when Stockdale was interviewed, he said, what, what do you think was the difference between your survival and everybody else's? And he says, I wasn't ridiculously optimistic. He said, I had hope, but I wasn't ridiculously optimistic. In other words, I met the current reality as a reality, and I still had hope for the future. And, and here's the example he gave. He said, the prisoners of war who thought we'll be home for Christmas, we'll be home for Christmas. There's nothing wrong. We'll be home for Christmas. Never, never made it. He said, those that had, this is really tough. We're not going to be home for Christmas, but we will get home. We will get home. We just don't know when. So this moment today and for a while, it's going to be tough and we're going to have to suck it up and face reality. So when leaders come into a situation, especially entrepreneurs, when you're having a tough moment, I say you have to have credibility. You cannot Pollyanna. You cannot be like, oh, nothing's wrong. But you also can't do doom and gloom, you know, sad Sam, negative Nelly. You've got to say, okay, here's, here's the tough situation. Here's the information and the data that we have. Here's our thoughtful response to it. These are the consequences that we're avoiding. This is the thought process behind our decision. And when leaders come out and do a very credible reality check, but don't dwell on it, continue to have hope for their people, those leaders have skyrocketing profitability. It's the ones that sit on the extremes of ignoring reality or doom and gloom that, as you say, you, did, you phrased it beautifully, they bring everybody down. Yeah, there was uh, early on would have been March uh, as the pandemic and all that all this was was churning up over on Twitter. There's a leadership guru who tweeted it was it was after one of the, the press conferences and, and a number of things happened like within 24 hours. And he shared all of them in Twitter. They're saying 500,000 dead. Boom, boom, boom. This graph says this. They've canceled Major League Baseball, named all these bad things and said, anyone have any good news? And for a leadership guru, it was it was kind of like the world is going to hell in a yeah. handbasket. Everything sucks. What else is new? And it's like that's different than saying, you know, listen, here's the facts, but we're going to get through this. Right? right. I mean, it's it's maybe using the same words, but in different order and a, and a, a tone, I guess. And that's and that's a skill. And, and I'm still learning this skill as well. I mean, this is, it's a journey. It's not like you show up one day and you're just like this instant, you know, you've got it all figured out. And I, I, I joke, I'm a master communicator that is still a student of communication skills. And I think that it's kind of like the other day I heard a leader say, well, you know, what doesn't kill us will make us stronger. And I was like, Oh no, 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 no. Like, it is killing us. Like if you want a quote or if you want a rallying cry, that's not the one. <laughs> and so, but, but again, respectfully, we are all going to misstep. I mean, it was painful to watch mm -hmm. him say it. And I've actually, I've heard other people say it too. It's like, no, this is not the quote of the times guys. It really isn't. Um, but at the same time, and I say this sincerely, when you have that misstep, just own it. Yeah. Just own it. That that's part of it. I mean, I'm I'll do I'll be the first person and I, I did it. I think it was like two days ago, maybe two and a half days ago now, where I was just like I looked at Scott and I was like, Oh, I said, I'm I'm sorry. I said that tone that was that was me after a really strong it has nothing to do with you. 
I need to be more aware. That was just the wrong tone. And it wasn't even super snappy, but it's not me. And so yeah. the minute that I, that I said it, it was like, okay, wait a minute. If I don't apologize right now for it, then it just becomes this bigger thing or it could dangerously become a pattern. So just catching yourself in the moment and forgiving yourself in the moment. You're allowed to be human. In, in this day and age of what we're doing now and social media and communication and everyone watching everything, you know, I do a lot of videos. I used to do a video every single day. Oh. And there were literally people who would compare something I said three weeks earlier with what I said now almost to kind of catch me, yeah. you know, did, did you do this? Did you do that? And it's like, I just came to the point of either, either they misunderstood and, and I wasn't, and I'd explain it or I'd say, yeah, I was wrong. I was wrong. That was dumb of me to say, <laughs> do you find an increase given that, especially when you work with leaders who a lot of people are following them. And I think you see this obviously at the highest levels with politics, nonpartisan comment here. Right. I mean, everyone, yeah that people are so afraid of saying the wrong thing that either they're so stressed and that cortisol is flowing through them that they say the, an even worse thing, or yeah. they just don't say anything at all. And so they keep everything to themselves and don't have any conversation, much less a profitable conversation. Well, I think that, you know, Brene Brown is famous for saying, um, if you're not in the arena, then you really have no no merit for commenting on those who are. Um, and that's just, you know, I believe in that. And I also know it's not really how our world works with social media. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of couch potato commentary, and it's really easy to be critical, um, from, from an anonymous perspective. I mean, I, I've always, I was raised by a family where when social media came along, the, the core values that I had would be like, why would you leave like a thumbs down? Like, if you really didn't like it, why would you just like click away? Like, why, why would you give somebody a negative thumbs down? Like if, if you love it, thumbs up, but if you don't walk away, um, and that, and that's on innocuous stuff. I'm not talking about not speaking up for egregious errors, but I'm, right. but it was just sort of, to me, this, this ability now to comment and to be so critical of others really forces those who are in the arena to, I don't want to say armor up. I think that's the wrong phrase, but to kind of protect themselves against the barrage of critical feedback. Like I think that a lot of times when I'm coaching leaders and they get criticized publicly, I'll say, okay, right now it's just information. You just have to look at it as information. Some of it is going to be helpful. Some of it's constructive. And some of it's just somebody else's opinion that may or may not be yours. And again, that goes back to the conversation internally of what does this feedback mean to me? I mean, I've literally gone and done a keynote and we, and you know, and I'm, I'm a, a type A go-getter. I, I speak for a living and I'll get, you know, some evaluation after I speak publicly that'll be like, this is the worst speaker I've ever heard in my life, you know, <laughs> and her handout was terrible. Right. And in that same speech, you'll have 99 other people say, oh my God, this was outstanding. This was relevant. It resonated. And I loved her handout. I mean, literally you could not make this example. And I thought her handout, you know, was amazing. And so we're laughing and it's like, okay, if I get rid of that negative one. And if I get rid one of one of the most like over positive ones, then what's the core message. Hmm. And that's what I kind of tell my, tell my coaching clients is, you know, get rid of the super negative, get rid of the superlative. And then what's the core feedback that you're getting. And then there's probably the truth. Hey everyone, this is Kurt Mercadante. And I want to thank you for being a loyal listener to freedom mindset radio. You know, in this chaotic time of coronavirus chaos, 
It's so important for people to have a process to define, create, and live their lives of freedom and fulfillment. I lay out just that process in my Amazon bestseller, Five Pillars of the Freedom Lifestyle. And in light of this turbulent time, I've dropped the Kindle price of my book to $4.50. That's a more than $2 drop in price. I do this because I truly believe that this is a process that will help those who need freedom and fulfillment now. Perhaps it's you. Perhaps you have spent the past five years, 10 years, 15 years trading away your freedom and fulfillment for a false sense of security and a toxic job and a lifestyle that doesn't fulfill you. And now you're realizing that security was an illusion and you want your freedom now. Go to fivepillarsoffreedom.com right now. There, you can get chapter one of my book absolutely free, and there's a link to purchase the book. As I said, we have dropped the price to $4.50 for the Kindle version of my book. I know the five pillars of the freedom lifestyle will help you define, create, and start living your freedom lifestyle now. Thanks again for being a listener. I wish you a day, a week, a year of freedom and abundance. That's great advice. It, it's um, and and you and I both published had the same publisher for our books. Yeah. And um, there was a review of my book that was led on uh, on Kirkus Reviews, uh, and I shared it. I thought it was yeah. a good review, but there was a line. It said uh, the ideas aren't necessarily original, but they are put in a stylized manner that people will enjoy. That's a me, brilliant comment. Right. That's I had a, a friend who was a fellow author call up and say, like, how could you share that? It was such a negative sentence. And it yeah. was, and it's so interesting how we flip that around and gosh, what you said is so on point. Uh, I remember speaking last year and it, it was a, uh, it was to HR executives and it was on StrengthsFinder mm-hmm. and you get these evaluations and it's so easy to go right for it. But I am probably when I speak, I mean, I drop F-bombs. I do, I'm the least, quote unquote, touchy feel. I've never been accused of being touchy feel. Okay. Right? okay. But uh, usually it's the other way. I didn't appreciate the tone or the language, but I like the thing. I'm fine with that, right? But one person just <laughs> too touchy feely, too into my emotions, too sensitive and whatever. And it's like, you know, no matter what, no matter what you do, there's always going to be critics but that can't prevent you from, like you said, and quoted Brene Brown, getting in that arena. Well, and it can't prevent you from also going right back to, to freedom. It can't prevent you from being your authentic self. If that's who you are, that is who you are. And again, one of the things that I always find fascinating is we have no control over people's reactions. I mean, you don't know that you didn't trigger some story, some event, some experience in that person's life that has absolutely nothing to do with you. And so I, I always have looked at it. So when I, when I was in my twenties, I, I had either like women, like instantly love me or instantly dislike me. And it was just sort of this palpable reaction. And I remember going to my mom and saying, I don't know what causes it. I don't, I don't know what it is that I'm doing because I show up the same, but it's like, they either love me or or they hate me. And my mother said, I need to teach you a lesson. And I was like, okay. She's like, 
it's not about you <laughs> and it's never going to be about you. It's always going to be about what's going on in somebody else's head in their own conversation. And like this light bulb, you know, when you're young, like the whole world revolves around you and it must be about me and it must, you know, and my mom was like, yeah, just, just a little lesson. It's not about you. And so again, you show up and you are you. And whether somebody finds you too touchy feely, you've triggered something in them and their own co internal conversation. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. It, it, it's, it's, uh, as a total side note and, and I'm learning, you know, I have a 14 year old daughter, um, and it, 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 I have three sons and watching the differences, but also comparing it to experience of working in the corporate world. If there was an office and let's say there was half men, half women, mm -hmm. if two men didn't like each other, they just kind of avoided each other and had conversations. If a man and a woman didn't like each other, kind of the same thing. They would just kind of avoid. If there were two women who didn't like each other, they didn't have to say a word. They got into the same room. And when you talk about energy and spidey sense, it's you could tell that, it, like you said, it was pal. It was just like, oh my goodness. And you know, my daughter's learning that now. And and uh, with some people who, it's it's just different. And uh, my wife's explaining, you know, because when I had friends and we were in a fight, we just kind of kept going, you know, yeah. and now she's experiencing that. So um, uh, whatever that is, I guess. <laughs> well, I think, you know, one of the things that in our research is that men and women both feel the whole spectrum of emotions. Like there's no difference in experiencing emotions on a, on a gender level. If you can experience emotions differently based on your own DNA and your own personality type, but men and women, we all experience that same incredible range of emotions, how we process them though, hmm. and how that, in, how that influences our external behaviors is very different based on the genders. And again, I don't want to do a sweeping generalization because there's sure. so much individual nuance, but there are clearly um, gender um, markations of how we express emotions. And one of the things that I think that the millennials um, have gotten so much better and, and, and generation, what are we at? Z now generation? No, Z I don't even know. Yeah. yeah. I don't even know. <laughs> We're running out of letters, but women are getting much better at supporting women. And I think that that's a huge improvement in this new generation is that there is more room for women. There's more, um, there's more opportunity for women. There's more acceptance of, of women's rights. And so we're entering, I think an extraordinarily fascinating era where I think this next generation of women are going to be far more supportive just because of the environment that they've been raised in and what's been modeled to them. And early on, was it, was it because of a competition thing that well, if that person's making it, I got to take them down because it's, you know, well, for my, you know, every generation, women get more and more rights. And it, it's, I can't even believe that we're, you know, in this year discussing that, you know, we still have a long way to go, but we do. But when I, when I was growing up sixties and seventies, you know, there, there were no seats at the board table for women. And then by the time that I hit sort of the workforce, there might've been one, there might've been two. And women at that time were like, okay, I, I worked so hard to get this seat that I, I can't give it up. And now we've got more women around the table. And instead of making another table just for women, which was the next segment that we did is, oh, well, the women can't have their table. Let's build their own table. What well, we've now gotten much more comfortable at the corporate and board levels to say, hey, there's two or three seats for women. I'm going to pull up a chair and invite another woman to the table. And I, and I think that this generation is now coming up out of high school saying, 
there are, there are plenty of seats at the table for me. And I, if I want it, it's there. And so it just all those expectations, those norms, those paradigms, those boundaries, whatever buzzword you want to use, they're all shifting and evolving. And, and what I don't want to see is regression. That's just what I don't want to see. Have you seen, you know, over the last year, um, and certainly we're in election year, right? So anything, any statement at all can be perceived as political and, yeah. and, and going in some direction. You know, over the last couple of years, obviously Me Too and, and things and people rightfully getting lambasted, jail, you know, all this. But do you think that there has been, uh, when we talk about conversations, a, and when I say this, I don't, I'm not making a value judgment on it, but a knowing how some men in leadership can be from liability perspectives from, oh my gosh, I'm terrified that there's almost been in some cases, a fear of having any conversation for fear of saying the wrong thing. Absolutely. And I, I, and I think that one of, one of the things that's happening with um, my male coaching clients, I, I coach a lot of men, and, and they'll say, well, I'm, I'm not going to take her to lunch. And I said, why? And it's like, because I, I just can't. I mean, it, it's like, and, and I'm like, well, what are you going to do at lunch? You know? And it's like, it's not that it's that it could be misinterpreted. I could be misquoted. I, I could be. And so I think that there is real fear that, that men are experiencing. And, and my coaching clients are very sophisticated. They're very educated. And so when I say, well, you know, what's the thought process behind that? And they said, I'm not going to do anything, but I also understand the importance of this issue. I don't want to contribute to it. I don't want to be misinterpreted. And I said, well, if you're not saying anything that's inappropriate, how would you be misinterpreted? And they said, it's just too dicey right now. And these are, these are sophisticated, highly educated men who, who understand it, they, they have complete understanding of how wrong and egregious um, some of these behaviors have been. Um, and they're just, they're just frightfully afraid to be um, accused of something that they didn't do. And so I think that we are in this, this kind of inflection point and I don't think we're on the other side yet. I think that it is like this um, fulcrum of finding this reality, a new reality of if we all behave ourselves, it's going to be fine. And we'll, and we'll get to that comfort level again. But I am, but the me too movement has, has brought awareness to so many egregious behaviors, rightfully so that I do think there are people, both men and women that are just a little bit more concerned about circumstances, being alone, what they could say, being misinterpreted. Um, and I think that that's an understandable concern. Yeah. Something that is also obviously in the news is, oh my gosh, a pandemic. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's one of these things where it's, I was, I was explaining to my uh, nine-year-old, you know, we, 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 we try not to scare them, but we're, we're up front with them. But just to kind of get it through his head of, you know, pay attention and really remember everything that's going on right now, because for good or for bad, like, this is a historic time. This is going to be in the history books. Like you could be a hundred years old and never have experienced anything. You could probably be 200 years old. Right. And as weird as what's going on, he said, well, what about world war II? I said, the only thing would comparable would be if you were living in Europe or right. London during the blitz. So everyone's affected rich, poor celebrities. I mean, you know, I have a client who's in the NFL. He doesn't know if, when he's ever going to play again, you That's know, right. What types of fears, concerns are you hearing from your clients 
Um, and I guess in terms of innovation, and you hear a lot of the word of you have to pivot, yeah. what advice are you getting them, giving them to, like you said, we got to be realistic. You can't be Pollyanna, but you also have to, <laughs> you know, push forward and you're either going to thrive or you're not. And so, you know. <laughs> That's the reality. And so, yeah, pivot's a buzzword, but everybody's doing it. Um, yeah. and, and another phrase that I hear a lot is new normal or when are, th- when are things going to get back to normal? So I have a different perspective on it. I, I, first of all, I don't think it's a new normal. I don't think there's anything normal about this. I think it's just a new reality. So, uh, I, I, I keep changing that vocabulary with my clients. The other thing that we talk about is, you know, they're like, well, when will it get back to the way it was? The way it was is gone. And that's, that's just a full stop. The way that it was is gone. We will never go back to the way that it was a hundred percent. There will be pieces that we bring with us forward, but some of those pieces are gone. And and I know as a speaker there, it's going to be a long time before 500 or 5,000 people want to get in a conference room or a stadium and all sit next to each other and hear me speak. And then you think about all the sports trying to figure out um, professional sports, college sports, high school sports. Like, are, are these kids who play basketball in the winter, you know, are they going to be able to play this year? Are parents going to be able to come out and support their kids? I mean, will they be playing, you know, with with video? Will they be able, these kids allowed to be close together, you know, if we don't have a vaccine yet? And so I think that the resiliency of our nation is staggeringly awesome to see. We are a people who always figure it out. We are a people who are filled with hope. We innovate. We do seize on opportunities. We capitalize on a changing world and we do it in, in, in lightning speed for, for many of us. I think that where I've been cautioning my clients is to come up with this phrase, just an internal conversation to say measured urgency. Like that's the phrase that I've been talking about with my CEOs is this, or an entrepreneur. So we do need to pivot, buzzword. We do need to adapt, but we need to do it with measured urgency. So I was on a call the other day, Kurt, and, and a guy was saying, like, I already feel like I'm behind the eight ball. Like, I, I already feel like I, I'm, not, I'm not catching up fast enough. And I was like, whoa, deep breath. We've got time. There's an absolute grace period here for you to pivot with measured urgency. So sit down, look at your vision, think about what you can change, what you can adapt to, what technology you might need to, where you can invest those dollars. You know, let's take a look at your cash flow, but let's do it with measured urgency, not this panic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned vision. And uh, one of the things that I've learned is that a lot of folks confuse uh, temporary objectives with a vision. Right. And so I I posted something a month ago and said, you know, if your vision is forced to change because of a pandemic, it wasn't the right vision. And a number of people said, well, no, what if your vision is opening a venue where people gather? Or what if your vision is this? I said, well, that's, that's it. That's just it right there. That's an objective on the way to a vision. What is your overall vision? So can you, can you talk a little bit about vision or a lot about vision? Because I think a lot of people confuse the two. I say, I, I like to say a lot of people bounce like a pinball from objective to objective thinking each is each stop along the way is a vision, but a vision is 
is is more longer lasting. More it is. Are. So a vision to me is three to five years in the future of impact on people's behaviors and experiences. So if you're if you're like like the nightclub, let's just go with the nightclub as an example. If your if your vision is to open a nightclub, no, that's a task along the way to a bigger mm-hmm. vision. So is the vision to create a place that's fun and entertaining that brings people together for connectivity, and it can be to listen to music. But what's the impact? Is it community connectivity? Is it the celebration of music? Like find find the bigger impact, and then the what can morph. So it's, it's kind of like, why am I doing this? Like, what am I specifically creating? And then the how can change a little bit. Let me ask the better way to word it. So see, you know, master communicator, let me find the right word. Um, <laughs> the how can change along the way. So here's, here's a great example that's personal. I teach communication skills. I want to create a world filled with master communicators because I know that when everybody communicates better, we get more of what we want. It's the law of reciprocity. The people around you that you love get more of what they want. We have better relationships. There's harmony, like blah, blah, blah. My vision is in the future, a world full of master communicators but I ain't going to do it with live speaking right now. Like that's part of the how, right? Like live speaking events have gone away. So we're doing far more virtual, far more online programs. We're doing our inner circle. So all this stuff morphed. We hashtag pivoted, right? We we did that. (laughs) And yet didn't change my vision at all. And that's the difference. One thing that you mentioned early on, uh, I circled in here, energy. And you talk about low energy words versus high energy words. And I, uh, a long time ago, realized the impact of my uh, physical self on the whether or not my words, uh, the conversations I was telling myself, most importantly, yeah. or others, uh, how that went from day to day. And you know, if I don't do a certain morning routine, the words I use throughout the day suck. <laughs> With your clients, what do you tell them uh, if you work on it or, or maybe for yourself or, or depending on the client, I guess, that mind-body connection in terms of, you know, because a lot of conversations have to do with our body language mm-hmm. and that energy that you have, whether you believe in law of attraction or not, I feel when I have that higher frequency of energy, even if it's something like this, uh, you know, an online webinar, people come through the screen, people schedule calls, people want to, you know, how do you feel about the mind body connection? And and do you work on that with your, with your clients at all? Well, my background is in cognitive science. So my background is I could talk about the brain all day long. So that's what my grad (laughs) degree is in. And so I always start with this because I think it's really important. The mind body connection is super powerful. And, And most people will say, Oh, isn't that a little woo woo? And I'll, and I'll say, well, let me just do a concrete example. If you're nervous, if, if public speaking isn't something that you like to do, then when you have to give a presentation or you have to stand up and speak in front of people, your palms will sweat, your stomach will churn. You might even feel sick to your stomach. That is all mind-body connection. That is the story in your head, your fears impacting the way that you feel. When you are falling in love, you, you don't need sleep. You like you levitate as, as you walk, you know, the, the world is filled and that's all energy. That's all mind body connection. And so one of the things that I talk about is it's palpable. When you meet somebody, you get this immediate aura of positivity, vibrant, radiant energy, or you get this aura of, oh, you're, you're not in a good place. So I do this experiment when I go grocery shopping before I walk in, 
Now it's a little harder because I have a big smile and I have a mask on when I go in the grocery store. But I used to do this experiment for years. I would sit in my car and I would say, I am positive, radiant energy. I am positive, radiant energy. And I would go in and I would talk to um, the stalker or I would talk to the stock guy or gal that's, you know, putting things on shelves. I would talk to somebody behind like the fish or the meat counter. And every single time my goal was to go in there and get somebody to say, oh my God, like you're radiant. And it happens almost every time. So when I set the intention of I'm going to go in as this positive, radiant energy being, I'm going to see who I can get them to respond. I've gotten everything. Oh, my God, your smile's magnetic. Or, oh, my God, you just beam. Or, and I get a lot. You're radiant. And that is because I have set my intention about the energy that I want to send. And I assume you work with a wide cross-section of people in terms of there are more extroverts, more introverts, there's analytical people versus kind of woo, you know, attracting a big audience, those types of things. And the type, the way that each person can radiate is different, correct? Absolutely. So if you have someone who is, uh, you know, there's people like you, there's people like me who kind of go and we're loud right? and, and can put on that smile. What do you say to someone who's a little bit more quiet and introverted about how they can, they're, they're, the way that they communicate and have conversations and radiate is going to be different probably than someone else? What do you tell someone like that who may say, well, I can't have good conversations. I'm just really quiet and I'm, you know. Quiet is very powerful. And so if you, if you've ever listened to, um, podcast interviewers that are much more introverted or that have a much, um, softer, they, I, I say it's the difference between the megaphone and the whisper. There are plenty of podcasters out there who have this very soft and very thoughtful and very slow and they're powerful. And it's because their energy, their intent is still to have this radiant impact or to have a meaningful impact or a positive impact. The way that their their energy comes across is still for the good. It's it's still still an inclusive kind of draw. And so one of the things that I find is, again, it's the intention that we set. I, I can, when I used, I used to teach elementary school, so I, I joke, I still teach, but when I taught elementary <laughs> school, it's my very first job. What I found is that I never yelled. Yelling was just noise, right? But I have lots of energy with kids. At that time, I had a lot more energy, but you know, I, I would be all this big to like have fun with them. But when I really wanted them to pay attention, I got very quiet. And I would whisper. And that's because everybody's leaning in. So you're still attracting people with your energy. Now, if you're whispering and you're being a jerk about it, that's a whole different energy. So it's, it's the, again, it's not so much the, the how we do it. It's the intention that we're setting with like, what are we radiating? And I, I know this is going to sound really woo, but I believe this. And I've got research behind me. Our words form energy. Our words emit energy, even the ones inside our head that are unspoken. That internal language has its own energy and frequency and flow. The So entrepreneurs who come to you or, yeah. or CEOs, executives, out of 10 who come to you and say, listen, I'm not getting what I want. I'm not, my, I, I've been working at this business for a year, two years, and it's just not getting there. Um, and my relationships are in tatters and I'm not getting that that promotion I wanted and the career move isn't going 10 people come to you with the, with those types of problems out of those 10, how often will it 
can you reverse engineer it back to the quality of their conversations? 10 out of 10. <laughs> and, and, it, and it's not, and it's not even necessarily the external conversations. I would say that much of it's the internal conversation first, you know, it's the, it's the 80, 20 principle of 80% of the blocks and the barriers are either what they're not doing with themselves, um, what they're not willing to admit to themselves, their lack of self-awareness. It's, uh, it's a 80% of it. Here. 20% is like, yeah, you need, you need some marketing help, but it's, it's fascinating to me how, when an entrepreneur will come to me and they'll be like, sales are down, sales are down. I'm like, okay, sales are down is a symptom. It's not the cause. Like sales are down is a byproduct of something else not working. Right. So what's not working. And then they'll be like, I don't know. I've like, I've got all these systems that are in place. I'm like, well, what, what do you need to admit that you don't know or that we can't figure out? Or are you not having the right conversations with the right people? Or are you not having them in the right way? Or are we not doing the conversation on your website in the right way? Um, and so again, I'm not going to be hypocritical. I've had a myriad of iterations of my own website you know, trying to figure out how to fine tune that conversation when somebody comes to your own landing page. And that's a great way to think about it. Every single time somebody comes to your own website, what is the conversation that they're having with your brand? That is a brilliant way to look at your own copy and your own marketing. And a, and a good for, for anyone listening, it's like, yeah, you know what? This really resonates with me. I, 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 the, the conversations I'm having with myself and others that's it. That's where I need to go. Now, first step with them is go to Amazon or go to your website, pick up the book. Thank but you. If someone who's on the fence, who's like, should I pick up the book? You know what? And, and it's funny, whether it's a $10,000 program or like a $5 book on Kindle, right? People still are like, well, what's the impact of me spending the $5 or the $10,000? Someone's on the fence. What impact are they going to have from getting your book and reading it this week? You will be amazed at how this book will take every single tough conversation that you have on the horizon, whether at home or at work, and it will return it into a redunculously profitable one. Guaranteed. Redunculously. I love that. Well, Amy Kay, thank you so much for joining us today. For anyone listening, whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, people want to learn more about you, then go to Amazon and get your book. Where's the best place to find and who is your target customer persona, not just for the book, but also working with someone wants to hire you. Yeah. So we, first of all, website, amyk.com, super easy. My first name, amyk.com. And we, we work with biz owners. We work with, um, senior executives on becoming master communicators so that whether it's aligning a team, sharing a vision, um, scaling and growing quickly. Those are all good problems. I, I, I joke good problems to have, but yes. So we have an online course that you can become like a fast start out of the gate, master communicator. We've got our inner circle, which is, um, actually, if you want to, it would do that. We're closing that cart today, actually, to become an inner okay. circle for the next. Uh, so if you want to go there and you want to get more information, just contact us, reach out on our website. It's kind of like a hidden page, um, on purpose. So, but if, if you want to become part of that, just, just reach out to us. Um, but really and truly, and, and this is one of my core values is generosity. If you're in a position where you're, you're not able to spend anything right now because of the pandemic, you can go to our website and get a ton of free tools. I mean, a ton of free tools on the homepage that will help you a lot with some of your tough conversations. So wherever you're at, we have lots of options. Well, Amy K. Hutchins, amyk.com. Thank you so much for having a profitable conversation with us today. Thanks, Kurt. Thanks for inviting me.